It is great to be here today um, to worship along with everyone here. Uh, last night we had the chance to have a, a, an awesome dinner and uh, just get to meet more of you. Um, I, I feel like I'm not really visiting because I know so many of you already that have either come to Indianapolis and served with us there or that I've, I've got the chance to go to uh, two ski retreats now and, um, and speak at those retreats. And, and uh, many of you I consider friends and, uh, and would love to consider more of you friends. And, and uh, uh, as I shared last night, it has been uh, really neat to see um, just how concerned uh, this church as a whole, as a body, is with missions, um, whether that be international missions or uh, North American missions. And, um, and I'll quickly share, uh, uh, as, I, as I said last night, uh, the one great thing about the Southern Baptist Convention is the, is the cooperative program. Um, it is absolutely fantastic because um, I came from, when, when I was very young, I used to attend, and I'm talking very young, I used to attend uh, an independent Baptist church. And every so often we'd have missionaries come around and, and do their, their, their thing, uh, do their little show and, and show us what they were uh, doing on the field. And they would literally have to leave the mission field for a certain amount of time just to go around and raise money at these churches that they were, they were uh, planning or, or they had a plan to go to each Sunday and, and, and give their spiel. And the nice thing about that was is we knew who our missionary was. He, they were standing right before us. This is the missionary that we are supporting. That was a nice thing. The, the struggle with that was, is we had missionaries that were leaving the field, leaving their work to go and raise support for themselves and then have to return back to the same field and continue on. Well, the Southern Baptist Convention is much different. It is made up by both the North American Mission Board and the International Mission Board. And uh, when you put your tithes and offerings in the plate, it goes to support all the missionaries, whether they are here in North America or internationally. That's awesome. Because now we don't have missionaries leaving the field to go and raise support, then to return back to the field. They are being supported by you. The weakness is you don't get to see who your missionaries are. And you can, if you really want to investigate, you can go on websites and see them. But you don't get to see them flesh and bones right before you. And I, I wouldn't be so arrogant to say I represent all of them, but I, my family, we are North American missionaries. We are, we are flesh and blood people that you support on a weekly basis. And uh, I want to say thank you for that. And um, I know uh, on... on, a, on when you're, when you're giving your, your tithes and offerings, you may not even think that. You're thinking, well, I mean, I'm just supporting. But you are supporting such a greater cause, something so much bigger than you that is happening all over the world. So thank you for that. Also, thank you for just the, the support and, and that we've received coming here over this weekend. And it has really, really been awesome. The gifts that we received up to this point, it's just been overwhelming. And, uh, and for us, it's just been a joy to come and see friends that, that uh, we've had for, for many years, but um, to also make, make many more. 
and to see some faces that have come and, and, and served right there in Indianapolis with us, man, it, it, it's just, it's been awesome. It just feels like uh, I saw him yesterday, you know, and just same kind of joking around, having fun and, and hanging out. It has been, it has been great. So thank you for that. And uh, it, it has been a, an excellent time for us. Um, and if you don't know me, my name is Kevin Carpenter. Uh, my family's sitting here on the front row. Um, Nicole, and I, and I did this wrong last time I introduced him, so I need to make sure. Um, Eden is my oldest, and then Emma, um, she has the red hair, so you'll notice her um, from a distance. Um, and then did Eli go down? And then Eli. And if you, uh, if you would, um, in, the, in the back, um, and th- there may see, be some more, and some of you picked these up last night, there's these cards, and uh, many of you have seen these with missionaries. It's nothing new. Um, there's these cards, and, and honestly, we use these for financial support many times. We'll, we'll hand them out for those things. You, that's not what we want them to be used for in this case. What we want is, is there's a list of things on the back that you can pray for us. And if there's anything I can ask for, the most important thing you can do for us is to be praying that God would open the hearts up where we're serving. So on your way out or at some point, grab one of these cards. I'd love to shake your hand. I'd love to meet you. But man, I would love for you to begin to pray for us. And man, it means a lot to us to know that people are praying for us. And our, our, our names and everything and even birthdays are on there. All that information is on there. So you can be specifically praying for us in Danville and our team um, that is serving there. So please, please, I'm begging you, please pray for us that God would do a great work among us there. Now, when we talk about church planting, often the question is, why church planting? Why do we need to plant more churches? I was saying last night you could throw a rock and probably hit three churches here in town, wherever you threw it. Many people will say, why not try to revitalize the churches that we have? And today, I really want to present a case why I believe church planting is so important. And, um, and I believe that revitalization is very important also. But I believe that, that church planting is, is just like missions um, in an international sense. Church planting is right on God's heart. And, um, and it means a lot. I got to see the, the different ministries that you guys support last night. And it means a lot that church planting is also on your heart. That it's important to you to see God doing new works here in North America. So today I want to talk about that from Acts chapter 17. So if you do have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 17, please. But why, why church planting? Our goal is not to reach people that already go to church. You ask people here in America oftentimes, do you attend a church? And many will say, many will say, yes, I attend a church. And they will oftentimes say, maybe the popular church that's in town, I go there once or twice a year. Maybe they'll say a church that they were raised in at a very young age and no longer go to. But they'll say, I go to that church. And, and they find themselves maybe there once or twice a year. Well, we would call them unchurched. And that is going to be a popular thing or, or a thing that you will find here in this area much more. You guys are right in the Bible Belt. Church is not a new thing. Uh, most people here, if you ask them on the street, do you go to church, they would say yes. 
Well, in Indianapolis, that's not the case. In Indianapolis, there's almost 2 million people. 60% of Indianapolis claim no religious affiliation. Six out of every 10 people you ask in Indianapolis, do you attend a church? Attend a church? 60% would say, absolutely not. They attend nothing. I'm talking no spiritual affiliation. So if you were to put, check this box of who you affiliate with, whether that be Christian or Muslim or it, any Buddhist, any length of religions, 60% would check nothing. 60%. There's churches in Indianapolis. We got churches all over the place too. Not near as many as there are here. For example, there's only 400 churches, um, I'm sorry, there's only 400 Southern Baptist churches in all of Indiana. As Pastor Scott pointed out, there's 74 in Rock Hill. I wouldn't even know how many are in South Carolina. 400 churches in all of Indiana, 400 Southern Baptist churches. It is a much different place to serve, much different place. And when 60% of the population there in that in that, uh, in that area say, we have no religious affiliation. And then if we take that a step further, only 15% claim to be evangelical Christians. That means that 85% of Indianapolis is left unreached with the gospel. That is a mission field. That is a place that needs churches to be planted, needs to find new and creative ways to reach people for Jesus Christ, that is a mission field. And oftentimes people will say, there's a mission field across the street, or there's a mission field down the road. Why can't we do it there? Why can't we support that? Because God has called us to reach the nations, not just our neighborhood. Both. He has called us to do both. And if you take issue with that, you have an issue with God. God has called us to reach the nations, North America being one of them. I don't know if you knew this, but America now is fourth in receiving missionaries. Not sending and receiving missionaries from other countries. We, we really set the pace early on of sending out missionaries. Now we are fourth on the list in receiving. America is a place that is desperately in need of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you think there are problems with America, whether you can go on down the list, whether they be political or social or cultural, whatever, I need you to hear this. Jesus Christ is the only answer. He is it. We can can lobby, we can do everything we can, and I think we should. But I want you to know the only answer to the issues that America is really facing is Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. So we need to be finding ways to break through that culture. And I believe we see that in Acts chapter 17. 
But I want to take a quick detour. And you, and you may even think he is, he is going in a, in a really weird direction here. But just stick with me for a second. Because the idea here is what is the, the gospel's impact on the church? What is the gospel's impact on the church? So what we're going to do is we're going to rewind back to when the church wasn't around. And that was in the Old Testament. We're going to take it back to the Old Testament for, for just a moment. In the Old Testament, you had this place called the temple, okay? Many of you have heard of the temple. If you've been in church very long, you, you've, 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 you've read about the temple in the Old Testament. And basically what this place was, this was a place where people would go, where the Jews would go, and they would worship. Now, why would they worship at the temple? Well, it's, it's kind of hard to explain um, because when we talk about God and his presence, he is everywhere, right? He is, as they say, omnipresent. Everywhere. But for some reason, God chose to make his presence specifically in the temple, like a special presence where people would go. And that's where the Holy of Holies was. God resided in this place, in the temple, so people went there because his presence was there. In fact, uh, Jewish men had to go there at least once in their life, had to visit this place in Jerusalem. Well, before the temple, there was the tabernacle. And that's when the Jews were moving from place to place. Okay, They would move to another place, they would set up the tabernacle, and then they would take it down and move to another place. The tabernacle, the only thing it really is, is a moving temple. That's all it is. Temple was in one spot, the tabernacle was moved around. So finally, when they came to the promised land and, and finally stayed in a place... They built this temple. And this is where God's presence resided. And they went there to worship him. They went to this place to worship God. And this place was very important to them. It was very important to them. Because this was also the place, not only was his presence there, not only did they go to worship him, but they also offered their sacrifices. They also offered their sacrifices in this place. This was, this was extremely important, and God was very concerned about this, this place of worship. This was, this was kind of like his house. This was his place. And if you read through the Old Testament, you, oh, man, detail after detail of just how concerned God was. When you would, when you would go to the temple... To this place, you had uh, the outer court. Only certain people were allowed in the outer court. But then you'd have the inner court. And, and then only uh, specific people were allowed in there. And then you had the Holy of Holies. And that's where God's presence was. And only the high priest was allowed to go in there once a year. I mean, and, and he had sacrifices had to be made. And they had to wear certain type of clothing. Uh, even down to down to the buttons, God said. This is, this is what I want them to be wearing, down to the very buttons that the priest had on. God was very concerned. He was very concerned. This was, this was a, a, a very important place for them. In fact, the nations would actually come and see this place. We hear stories in the Old Testament where people would actually come just, just to see how beautiful and magnificent the temple was. 
just to spend time with Solomon and hear him and his wisdom and go there and see just how beautiful this temple was. So the concept was that the nations were to come and see God's glory. They were to come and see it. Because where was it? It was in the temple. It was in Jerusalem, in this place. And they were to go and they were to see it. So then what happens? Well, the most important event in all of human history takes place. The thing that changed everything. See, the gospel did not just change the church, but it changed everything. It changed everything. See, the temple was this place where people would then go and see. They would go to Jerusalem. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm trying to keep saying that because I really want it to be clear that they had to go there to this place to see the temple. They would go. So the concept was, come see God. He is here. This is his house. Come see. And this is all the things that you have to do. This is all the requirements, all the sacrifices you have to make in, in extreme detail. Come and see where God is. Then Jesus Christ comes. Hope enters the world. See, all of this, all of this before, it wasn't enough. We would have never been good enough to enter into the Holy of Holies. Sin is far too destructive. Sin is, is falling short of the standard that God has set in place. We would have never been good enough to worship Him. It is only because Jesus Christ came, died, and then resurrected on the third day that now I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, as my Lord. I receive him. And this transition happens from where the temple was this place where we went and worshipped him to now I am the place where God resides. Now he resides in me, in my heart. So we have this concept of come see, come to this place where God is in the temple, but now I have become the temple. It says this in Corinthians, that we are now the temple of God, that he dwells within us. Look at these pictures, okay? Both of those pictures are the same thing. If the, if the person has received Jesus Christ as their Savior, it said that the Bible says that we now become the temple, that the Holy Spirit comes and, and literally lives within us. Now, I, I really wish I could explain that if I had some metaphor or something that, just, that we would just be, oh, oh that makes complete sense. I, God lives within me. Now I don't have to go to a place to worship him. He lives within me. 
Now I don't have to follow all these guidelines and restrictions and laws and rules. God lives within me, and it's only because of what Jesus Christ has done. It is only because I have admitted who he was as my Lord and Savior and asked forgiveness and repented for my sins. He lives within me. I no longer have to come see. I don't have to come see at a temple because now he is right here. Amen. Man, that's something to get excited about. He lives within me. So we have this major transition that takes place from a come see to now, as it says in Matthew chapter 18, to go, or 28, to go tell. Come see to a go tell. Come see to a go tell. Man, that's, that's huge, isn't it? The gospel changed everything. Now, I know as I was, as I was talking about this, if you've been to church... For more than five minutes, you've probably heard this already. You know, I, I know I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I get all, we all understand that. We get that, you know? We learn that from, a, from an early age. Now, let me challenge it for just a moment, though. This is, this is where it gets a little more difficult. I'm talking about church. Church is. I'm not talking about Northside. I know some about you. I don't know everything about you. If we did an outreach event, we're going to do a major outreach blast. Where would we do it? Most likely on the church property. You know what we would say? We said we're going to do this huge outreach event and we're going to reach out to our community and we're going to ask them to come see. We want them to come see what we have. We want them to come see the facilities that we've built. We want them to come see the way our, we've manicured our lawns or how nice our buildings are. We want them to come see how great our programs are. And we're asking the culture to come see. Well, I, I, I need you to hear this. The culture is no longer coming and seeing. They're not. You no longer can throw up a sign and say, come to the big blast at the church and people in the community come. It just doesn't happen. If, like I said earlier, if we were to go around and ask people, what do you believe about the church today? If we just looked at them and say, what do you think about the church today? Now, you'd get all kinds of different answers. One of the answers you might get is, oh, yeah, we love the church. They've helped us out, and, you know, we've been in, in a tight situation, and they helped us out with, you know, rent or something. Great, you'd get some good answers. But I'd venture to say you'd also get some negative answers. You get the answers like, you know, we, we just don't really feel comfortable going on the property anymore. We, you know, we feel like we have to dress a certain way. We feel like we'd have to 
act a certain way. We feel like we'd have to maybe say the right things. What does that remind you of? Tell me what it reminds you of. It reminds you of the Old Testament when they had to act a certain way when they went to the temple. They had to dress a certain way. They had to follow rules and regulations. And you know what's interesting about what the church has done? They said, you know what? We're not happy with the freedom of Jesus Christ, the freedom that he has given us. Let's put the shackles back on that we've had in the Old Testament. We make requirements of, uh, you, when you, you, you drive onto the church campus, what do we oftentimes call this? God's house. Now, this, is, this one might get you. God's house is right here. He's right here. This is his temple. And, and sitting before me right now, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, we have a bunch of temples that have gotten together because we... Uh, we are excited about who God is and we want to praise his name together and hoping to make an impact on the nations. We have a bunch of those temples that have got here. And guess what? At some point at the end of this service, a bunch of those temples are going to go back out and hopefully not ask people to come see, but to go tell. Go tell of what Jesus Christ has done in our hearts not, not say, hey, I, I need you to come back to this event that we're having. I need you to come back to this program that we're having. I need you to come back to these things that our church is putting on. Come to this place. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You do. He has empowered you to go tell. You know why church planning is so nice and and a struggle? (laughs) We don't have any of those things. We don't have any programs for people to come see. (laughs) We don't have any of them. The only thing we have is to go tell people about Jesus Christ. That's what we have. In 15 years, I hope we don't put the shackles back on. Church planning allows us to have the freedom to say we're not going to look inward, we're going to look outward. And that's why, that is why church planning is so powerful. We see this model in Acts. If you look in Acts chapter 17, I'm going to start reading here in verse 16. It says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him 
to the Aerogopagus. <laughs> I have been trying to say that word right for two days, and, and I messed it up. Anyway, all right, <laughs> saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, these, what these things mean. Now, all these, the Athens and the foreigners, uh, I'm sorry, Athenians and the foreigners, who lived there would spend their time um, in nothing except for telling or hearing something new. And we'll continue to read on in a moment. What we see is, uh, just to, to, to kind of boil this down, Paul is in Athens. And in these, he's, in this, he's in this area where there's all kinds of, of philosophers and, and um, just people kind of talking about nothing. I like to call it people that talk about the fuzz in their navel. It just does not matter at all. You know, there's just no point. And they're just talking about it because they like to hear themselves talk. All right? And, and this is much like what we see taking place here is actually much like the uh, American culture. Um, uh, there is this, this concept of any idea is a good idea, as long as it's new, as long as it's fresh. Okay? The, 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 the concept also was, hey, it, it, like, you're not wrong, and I'm not wrong. We're both right. Even we may disagree, we're both right. Kind of everybody's right. You know, let's just hold hands and sing kumbaya kind of thing because everybody's right. I want to hear your ideas. You want to hear my ideas. Everybody's got good ideas. Now, does that remind you of kind of the culture that we're in today? You often hear about the concept of tolerance. We're supposed to be tolerant to everything. You know, it doesn't matter what people choose to do. We're supposed to tolerate it. Because if we were to say it was wrong, why do we have the right to say it's wrong? What you do is right. What I do is right. Everybody's right. That's, that's what a lot of people are thinking now in our culture. And what, what Paul did is he went into this culture and he, and he learned the culture. He spent time in the culture. He, he entered into it but here's the thing he did not do. He did not ask the culture to come to him. It says that he, he walked around in the culture. He spent time in the culture. And ultimately, he used the culture as an avenue to share the gospel. What do these people want to hear? They wanted to hear a new idea. Well, I want you to know, Jesus and the resurrection at the time was a new idea. And they just, they just want to sit and, and hear it. That's all. And he is up there, and he is going around and seeing all these, these idols that are built. And he comes across this one that says, an idol to, the, this, this statue is built to the unknown God. The unknown God. And, he, and that was it. That was his door. I'm, I'm going to take advantage of that and use that to share the gospel. So he enters into the culture and he says, I am going to go to them instead of ask them to come to me. Now, I, I want you to think for a moment, though. Do you, do you think that this was a nice place to be. 
all these idols built up, all these philosophers. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't a nice place to be. But Paul entered into it. He did not ask them to come to him, but he entered into that culture. But also we see in verse 17 that Paul invested time into the people. He uses such an awesome word here. He uses the word dialogue. It says he carried dialogue with them day by day. Now, when you hear the word dialogue, what do you think of? You think of conversation. Paul had conversation with these people. Conversation requires a few things. One, it requires time, right? Conversation requires listening. Um, Oftentimes, conversation should require more listening than talking. I got the talking part down. I don't do so well with the listening. I need to be a better listener. Of listening. But also... Paul took the time to share the name of Jesus Christ with them. Uh, it, re- you often hear the phrase, you know, uh, people shouldn't have to, to, to hear the words of Jesus. They should see it in me. But that, and that's great and all. And we should, we should be out doing really good, tangible things, serving people um, and showing them the love of Jesus Christ. That should be the, the very first things that we do as we are involved with people. But hear me out. People need to know who Jesus Christ is. And at some point, we need to share who he is. So he spent time with him. He dialogued with him. And ultimately, Paul became qualified to talk to them. He became qualified to talk to them. He became qualified to share the gospel with these people. How do we become qualified to share the gospel with someone? Well, it's not just by walking up to them and saying, Hey, I got good news for you. It's by listening to them. It's by understanding them. It's by learning about them. Paul becomes qualified. But in verse 18 and verse 28, we also see that Paul was able to defend the gospel. Paul was able to defend the gospel. Somebody that was very excited about apologetics, um, and I know many people that are, they would, they would walk into this passage much differently than I have today. Because this is a passage that talks about going into the culture and defending the gospel. This is one of the, the mainstay passages for an apologetic. Apologetic is somebody that or somebody that studies that, is somebody that learns how to defend the gospel. And this is what Paul was doing. He was defending the gospel. But to learn how to defend the gospel, we must be prepared to defend the gospel. We must be intellectually prepared to defend the gospel. Think about this. I'm up in Indianapolis. 60% of the population claim no religious affiliation. 60%. And I walk up to a person and I say, hey, I got good news for you. Jesus died on the cross for you and and all the gospel. And they said, why should I believe that? 
And my reply is, because the Bible says so. You should believe that because the Bible says so. Now, what do you think their reply is going to be? Oh, well, since the Bible says so, great. I'm putting my faith in him right now. They're going to say, the Bible? You mean the book that's written that's not true? They don't believe in the Bible. It is not enough. You, oftentimes, I'm about ready to offend somebody. Oftentimes, you'll see those bumper stickers that say, you know, God made it. I believe it. In our culture, that's no it's not enough. It's not. People don't even believe in God. So you better spend the time to learn about who they are. Oh, and by the way, you better meet some people. If, if, if the reason you are placed here on the planet is to express who God is, to share the gospel, you better know some people that don't know it. How can you fulfill your purpose that you were placed on the planet for if you say to me, well, Kevin, everybody I know is Christians? You better meet some people that aren't. And Oh, you, know, you do go to the gas station every once in a while. There's a cashier there. They might not know it. You have a server. You might, hey, learn, who their, name, learn their name, learn something about them, pray for them. You might work with some people. You might even have neighbors. You could cross the street and talk to. Or go down the road and talk to. Paul did not say, well, I'm going to sit back here and I'm going to let the culture come to me. Paul went to the culture at the time. What was this culture made up of? Because he went to different cultures. This culture was made up of philosophers, of of, uh, intellectuals. And he went in and he said, okay, I'm going to attack the culture that way. That's the way I'm going to enter into it. And he did that differently as he went to different places. He infiltrated the culture. But he was prepared to defend the gospel. He was prepared for that. Let me ask you, are you prepared to defend the gospel? I'm not asking you if you have the whole Bible memorized. I'm asking you if you're prepared to defend the gospel. Do you even know what the gospel is? If I gave you a piece of paper right now and I said, write out the gospel. Write it out for me. Do you know what it is? Do you know what it would be? You know, oftentimes what happens is, is we get this like crazy chance to actually talk to somebody about Jesus. So we say to them, I need to share Jesus with you, but why don't you come talk to my pastor? That's not weird or anything. Bring them, so you bring them back to your pastor, and your pastor sits down, and they know nothing about the person. They only know their name. Um, they have some questions about the gospel. Oh, so you have been attending church for 25 years and you can't answer them? You need to know what the gospel is. You do. So you can defend it and share it. I, I, I said this already, but if you've been in church for more than five minutes, we know that we should be sharing the gospel. When is the last time you've done it? 
We do not have a chance to win back the culture if we are not sharing the name of Jesus Christ. We don't have a chance. You can go vote until your face is blue. We do not have a chance to win back the culture. Jesus Christ is our only hope and has been our only hope. He is it. And it is only by telling people about him can they know him. Why did God choose to use weak people like us to express his name? Man, I'm going to ask him. But that is the way he has chosen to do it. He has chosen to use people just like you and me to express his name to the nations. So Paul spent time with him. He, 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 he was intellectually prepared, and he was able to defend the gospel. Defend the gospel. But Paul also confronted them. He also confronted them with the gospel. He took the gospel to them. As I've already said, ultimately, Paul shared the gospel. He shared it. This is important. In a time where we're just supposed to do good things for people, which is great, Paul took the time to share. Because he was prepared and he was able to defend it. And he had invested and took the time to learn, so he took the time to share. I want to make a statement that is kind of a bold statement, but you have to allow me to explain it. Relationships that are not gospel-centered have no eternal value. Relationships that are not gospel-centered have no eternal value. That is a bold statement. But hear this. You will have hundreds of relationships in your life. Some of you, thousands of just people you get to know. Maybe you, you know, you, you, you've met them and... You, You said hi, know their name, and maybe you would recognize them. You have hundreds of relationships, thousands, and um, throughout your lifetime. But when you die, unfortunately, that's going to happen to everybody. I'm sorry. Bad news, I know. When that happens and you go into eternity, the only relationships that will matter are the ones that have eternal value. That doesn't mean that everybody you've walked by, you've shared Christ with. But you know, let me give you an example of this. Up until I was 20 years old, my, my, my grandma claimed to be, uh, claimed to be a Christian, and, and I believe she was a strong Christian. But up until about 20 years old, the only thing I could remember about my grandma was telling me to get outside. Does anybody... I got to switch a few times too, by the way. The one where you have to go out and get it yourself, amazing. But that's all I could remember. My grandmother, who had been a Christian all her life, never had one spiritual conversation with me. And up until that point, 
our relationship had no eternal value. That's, that's a hard thing to say. That's a hard thing to say. Now, later on, I would, I would sit down and I would intentionally sit with her and ask her questions, and, and we had great conversations. This was after my grandfather had passed away, and, and I got the chance to, to preach at his funeral and ultimately got the chance to, to, uh, to preach at my grandma's funeral. And it was, uh, it was much different than the story I'm telling you now. But up until that point, no eternal value. Grandparents that are in here. Do the relationship that you have with your grandkids have any eternal value at all? Do you have spiritual conversations with them? Or do the pastors have to? Parents, are relationships that you have with your children, do they have any eternal value at all? Are you asking the youth pastor and the children's pastor to have that? Everyone. Are there any relationships in your life that have eternal value? Once again, I'm not talking about just sharing the gospel. I'm talking about asking somebody how their walk with Jesus Christ is going. If people know more about you because of the football team you like, then the one that you worship, there's a problem. There's a serious problem. I love football. But you know what? In heaven, we won't give it a second thought. We will not give it a second thought. That's tough for me to say because I really love football. I want to make sure, and I need to do a better job, I want to make sure that the relationships that I have in my life have some level of eternal value, that, that it will make some type of impact in all of eternity. Do you have relationships that have eternal value? And finally... I think I could have, and, and some of you may have been okay with it, I think I could have said this statement and, and been done. This is the most important statement I believe I will say. And this is what has changed the church. This is why church planning is, is it, because this is, so much, this is so much easier to do, because this is all we have. This is it. And you need to hear this, is that you are the most qualified person to share the gospel to your circle of influence. I said all those things. How can I say that? What was Paul doing? Paul was learning the culture, correct? He learned the culture. He spent time with the culture. He dialogued with the culture. He earned a forum with the culture to share the gospel. He listened to them. All their crazy ideas, he listened to them. And all the time, he was looking for a chance to do what? To share the gospel. The whole time. He's listening to all this. Okay, no, no, okay, no, no. Oh, right there. That's my opportunity. That's my opportunity to share the gospel. And for you, the people that you work with, the people you spend with on a daily basis, the people in your home, 
You know them better than any person on staff here at Northside. You know them. They don't know them. You know them. And they do not need to come see because you are there to go tell. You are there to go and to tell. I, I'm, I'm going to make another bold statement. I truly believe that like on much of the planet, I got the chance to go to Nepal and, and it, it, was, it was both the darkest and neatest place I've ever been in my life. Uh, you, you would walk up to these, these temples, and uh, people were just poor. And, and, and it's a third world, horrible, horrible conditions, horrible conditions. And you'd walk up, and this temple would be completely covered in gold. And these massive statues completely covered in gold. And then you'd walk up and you'd go into this area and there's this, there was this big statue with this uh, like, uh, glass in front of it with a, with a slot, man. And they would just throw as much money as they could get to this statue. And they were worshiping this statue. And man, it was just like, come and see how great our God is. Why? Because our temple is so great. Come and see this place. And we look at that and we say, man, that's idol worship. That's what that is. That's idol worship. Well, how often do we ask people to come see how great our church is? And not how great our God is. Jesus Christ lives within you. You have a story to tell. And that is a story of redemption. That is a story that what he has done in your heart and in your life. Will you today throw off the shackles of what used to be and say, you know what? God has done something great in me and I have something to tell. I have something to tell. I am going to go and tell because he is awesome he is great i have a story to tell some of you in here maybe you've never received jesus christ as your savior and you don't have a story to tell well i'm telling you jesus christ can come into your heart change your life redeem you from the disobedience, the sin against him and save you for an eternity by his side. Guys, that is the gospel. That's the gospel that Jesus Christ came when there was no hope. We would never live up to the standard. There was no hope. Our only future was to be punished for our sins. And Jesus came and he took the punishment on the cross. He defeated death through the resurrection so that we might have life. So do you have a story to tell? Maybe maybe your story starts today. Maybe it starts today. Maybe today you need to say, you know what? 
I don't have a story to tell. That I need, today, I need to be forgiven. Today, I need to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Maybe that's you today. But if it's not, and you say, no, I've, I've done that, then you have a story to tell. Go tell it. We used to sing that song, go tell it on the mountain. Not come see it on the mountain. Go tell it. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Scott. And uh, I do want to say um, thank you so much for having us here. I, I hope today that you look at that transition in history so much differently. That you recognize that that was the biggest day in history for more than one reason. It changed everything. It changed everything. And this is, this is a place where we come together to worship Him. But this is also a place that we are sent from. And that you are as capable of sharing the gospel than anyone else in this room, even the guys with the seminary degrees. You are as capable. And not only that, you are more qualified to do it where you are. Thank you for your graciousness and support and just the opportunity to come here and share about what God is doing in living faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to look at your word. God, to look at the story in Acts and what you accomplished through Paul. God, sometimes we lift up Paul in our minds because he was a writer in the New Testament and, man, he is Paul. But in so many ways, he was just like us. He was a man with weaknesses, with fears, with doubts. And God, you chose to use him to do great things. God, I pray that you would do the same here with individuals that are in this room. God, that we would not just talk about the new program we have. We would not just talk about how awesome our church is. God, we would talk to people, actual people, about how awesome you are and what you have done in our hearts. God, that we would take our temple out to show them how amazing you are. And ultimately, God, that Northside, churches surrounding Northside, living faith would not be a church that would ask people to come see. But, God, that they would be a church full of individuals that were ready to go tell. Thank you again, God, for sending your son and what he's accomplished in us. In your name, amen.